Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohn. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 73 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. I'm joined with Bob and Justin this morning. Guys, how are you? Guys, hello. That's what? We're doing great. Oh, you're doing great. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I could go on to like, you know, really, That's really awkward. tell you how great my week's been, but you know, I think this will do. That was awkward. So you're like, yes, yeah, more fine. details, Justin. Come on. More details. What did you yeah, have for breakfast like... today? Well, you see, I made this delicious breakfast and I had a great night's sleep, and I actually had a day off yesterday, which like rarely ever happens. It was quite delightful. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Hey, it's been, you know, it's been a perfect show so far. This is one for the vault. <laughs> right? There's been no bad news so far. So let's ruin that and get going. <laughs> we do have a, we have, we've got a good show for you uh, today. We've got, uh, we're going to be discussing Elon Musk, why he's a massive danger to society and the 2024 election. We're talking about Bob's piece this week. It's great. Uh, Matt Taibbi's crazy charts. I did a huge in-depth piece on this. Um, when I had to dive into one of the most ludicrous articles I think I've ever read. Uh, We have debt ceiling. Is a deal happening? Are we near? Are we close? Is Kevin McCarthy, like, how much negotiating power does he really have? Uh, Rudy Giuliani is in deep shit. We have both sides. And then we have the emergency meeting where we're going to be discussing the GOP's PSYOP on the Durham report, which is uh, quite breathtaking uh, to behold, really. This uh, watching them pretend it, the Durham report claimed various uh, uh, criminal activities by the Democrats when it nothing was uncovered. But anyway, we're going to go into that. Uh, and also also Matt Taibbi's response to this. Matt Taibbi's been taking victory laps after that. So we're going into the GOP's uh, uh, PSYOP. Uh, that'll be later on in the show. Um, so first of all, Bob, your piece this week. Mm-hmm. Elon, Musk, Elon Musk, the... Uh, I mean, he's like a cartoon bad guy, really, isn't he? Um, yeah, he, just, he is. He just needs the twirly mustache. Right. It's You know what? I'm getting very distinct Trump vibes from Elon. Just in terms of, obviously, they're two different people. But Donald Trump was, and still is, this world-ending villain, right? He's the guy who could disintegrate uh, and destroy democracy inside the United States. He could touch off, you know, a global conflict due to his incompetence and megalomania. Uh, We can run down the list. At the same time, he's really entertaining to make fun of. And so there's that one sliver of upside to Donald Trump. And you know what? It's exactly the same with Elon Musk. He's potentially a democracy-ending threat, but oh my God, he's fun to make fun of. And uh, we had some fun with his pregnant pauses from that CNBC interview he did this past week. (laughs) He was being quizzed about the Allen, Texas shooter, and there was one point where 
he was asked a question and the pregnant pause lasted for 14 seconds. It was one of the longest 14 seconds I've ever seen on television. Just amazing. But as far as it was almost as awkward as the beginning to this podcast. (laughs) Exactly Right. Yes. He was asked. So how you doing? And then there was the pregnant pause. (laughs) But um, so in all seriousness, though, we had the situation last weekend where Turkey was having its elections. Erdogan was falling behind in the polls. So he was able to muster up some court orders demanding that Twitter throttle or block the accounts of opposition leaders inside Turkey in advance of that election. And I think uh, Turkey submitted to Twitter something like 80 different accounts. And uh, Elon Musk, of course, caved to these demands. He didn't he didn't block all 80 accounts. He blocked, uh, I think, four, but then accounts that were then linked to that or posts that were linked to that and some big names in uh, Turkish politics. And so uh, this is uh, bad news for a number of reasons. And I'm, I'm thinking directly about 2024 inside the United States. But I I should back up and say one of the reasons why Elon Musk caved to these demands is quite possibly because Turkey signed a deal with SpaceX back in 2021 to produce rockets for its Turksat 6A satellites. Yeah, he has extensive financial gain there for Elon that he had to protect, right? Well, he's he's got business interests there. I I just want to read it. Bob, sorry, before you go on, I want to just uh, read a tweet from you from Elon back in March 5th, 2022. Uh, when he was uh, being um, uh, harassed by by concerned citizens over his um, uh, giving access to to the Russians uh, to to Starlink, and uh, Musk tweeted that says Starlink has been told by some governments, not Ukraine, to block Russian news sources. We will not do so unless at gunpoint. Sorry to be a free speech absolutist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's so not a free speech absolutist. Spoiler warning. Yeah, where, where 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 was that when he when it came to Turkey? Where was that um, diehard love of uh, freedom of freedom of speech when it came to Turkey? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, then he made the excuse that basically everyone does it, everyone caves to these kinds of demands, and that is absolutely false. In 2014, Turkey made the same request or a very very similar request of Twitter, and Twitter at the time under Jack Dorsey said, "Go f yourself." And Twitter was blocked for all of Turkey. And that was a decision that uh, the Erdogan regime made. They, they blocked Twitter from uh, Turkish citizens, but Twitter put out instructions for how they could get around the block. And then eventually it was reinstated, obviously. So this is something that Elon could have done, but instead he genuflected at the, uh, at the altar of uh, Erdogan and complied with some of his demands, uh, thus interfering with that election by throttling the accounts of opposition leaders. So he, again, he could have done what was what they did in 2014, refused to do that, you know, because he's a free speech absolutist. So this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. And then the other dimension to that, the other dimension to what we should be keeping an eye on Elon about is this, this thing that happened, which is just, it's so horrendous to even talk about because uh, due to his platforming of all the worst kinds of people, basically outcasts from 8chan 
who and, and we were all kind of predicting this when Elon took over and started reinstating all these accounts that soon this was going to be like those discussion forums on 8chan where the worst possible things you can imagine get posted over there. I mean, imagine the worst things you could possibly see on the Internet. That's what gets posted on 8chan. And sure enough, a couple of months after that, we start to see, I mean, not even a couple of months. Obviously, we saw white supremacy and the use of the word Nazi go up. We saw all this uh, trolling and bullying going on of women and people of color. And yeah, then racial we slurs went through the roof. Yeah, exactly. And then we saw this past uh, few days, there were these animal torture videos that were going up. Specifically, there was one about uh, a dog and then there was another one with a kitten that I just, I wish I could do the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind thing and erase this memory of, because I didn't see the video. All I know is the description of the video Mm. and it, it enrages me. And And it wasn't even that it was on there. It was you, if you started typing the word, that's what populated into the fucking search engine. Yeah. Yeah. The autocomplete in the search field. So it was steering you towards it. It wasn't even just, it was there. It was steering you to go see it. It's like, are you serious? What's wrong with you? And then Ben Collins from NBC news tried to get in touch with Twitter about that. And they fired back. Their response was a poop emoji. Cause you know, that's mature. Yes. This This is is a multi, this is a, you know, international multi, whatever million dollar company. And that was their response. Exactly. Right. So that shows you how responsible Elon Musk is. God only knows what's going to happen next year. We're only at the beginning part of the 2024 election cycle. I can't even imagine where we're going to be one year from now, where we're going to be up to our eyeballs and primaries and caucuses and the political temperature obviously is going to go through the roof as far as uh, the stress and the pressure and the uh, just cascading news cycles dropping on our heads around the clock. That's all still to come. I can't even imagine how Twitter is going to function at that point with the inevitable platforming of disinformation. We know that that is going to happen. Already, Russian troll farms have been allowed to buy up all of these Twitter blue accounts, right? Give, giving themselves the blue check. Oh my Plus, God, and it's so not just about the blue check. It's about the fact that if you buy Twitter blue, if you subscribe to that service, your tweets are elevated over the tweets of non-Twitter blue subscribers. That's the danger of that. So anyone, any troll, any group of disinformers, people trying to interfere with news cycles and to damage Joe Biden... Those people are going to get enormous platforms because of Elon Musk. And that's kind of what we're facing. So I think the sooner, and this is really what I'm getting at with this piece and the banter this week, the sooner we take seriously the threat of Elon Musk's Twitter, the more, the more rapidly we can come up with solutions for what to do. But right now, I feel as though there are so many people, especially non-users of Twitter, who just don't take the threat seriously. It's just like, oh, Twitter, I just just unsubscribe. Why do why are you even there? Well, it's irrespective of whether you're there or not. It's still the hub of the global discourse. World leaders, other politicians at every level, celebrities, rank and file voters, activists. Everyone is on Twitter. The first draft of history now happens on Twitter. And irrespective of whether you think Twitter is good or not, 
that's the reality of what we're dealing with. And now this weirdo megalomaniac, this guy who is very clearly platforming white supremacists, repeating anti-Semitic tropes, uh, elevating disinformation. This guy's in charge. Yeah. Right. Let me just like the George Soros thing, right? When he had got into a um, uh, into a Twitter back and forth with one of the was it the Krasenstein brothers? Oh, um, yeah. By the way, also block the Krasensteins. F those guys. They're useless. I don't know too much about them. I like I, I uh, they've been interacting with me on, on Substack, uh, but yeah. I don't know too much about them. Um but yeah, they they there was an interaction they had with with where uh, um, he was re- basically repeating this. You know, George Soros hates humanity, right? But he he. This is my issue with Elon Musk is that he's he falls for every single right wing conspiracy theory out there. Yeah. He can't be that fucking stupid. This is what I don't understand. For a guy who's supposedly a genius, he falls everything. That from Paul Pelosi uh, uh, conspiracy theories to the George Soros stuff to. All of the anti-vax, Bill Gates, 5G bullshit. Like Elon Musk is right there, right? Yep. It's it's like he, there's not a conspiracy theory that, that Elon Musk doesn't at least uh, pr- uh, semi-promote or semi-take seriously, right? And that's not good for for the head of a major tech company, right? Yep. Yep. Particularly, well, Bob, Bob, as you were saying, um, that is essentially the, the it is the the global town square still, sadly. So I don't know what the solution is, right? Do you participate or do you get the fuck out of there? Like, I don't, I, I genuinely don't know. I'm sort of like one foot in, one foot out because I, I just can't, yeah. um, I can't quite make my mind up because I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know what the answer is. Well, um, it's like nuclear disarmament. We all have to decide to leave. You know, individuals right. will make no difference here. We all have to collectively say at the same time, and this is how other social media platforms are constructed. Uh, but what we're doing is trying to deconstruct this one. And uh, we all just have to figure out at the same time, all right, it's time to abandon this thing. Let it disintegrate into the worst parts of HN. We're going to all go over to this other place, whatever that might be, whether it's Blue Sky or Spoutable. Uh, I like, I personally like Spoutable. I also like Post. These are definitive options for places to go to re, to, to restart this whole uh, town square metaphor and in a place where Elon Musk isn't there perpetually screwing with it and injecting all of his awfulness and conspiracy theories into it. I mean, that was one of the things from the CNBC interview that I was talking about earlier. He was asked, uh, oh, what was he? Oh yeah. He was asked about the Allen Texas shooter and the fact that he was trying to debunk the idea that the shooter was a white supremacist and insisting that it was bullshit that the shooter in Allen, Texas was a white supremacist, even though there is copious evidence to that effect, whether it's, uh, you know, newspapers of record, the AP, the police, the FBI, all verifying that this guy had Nazi Nazi tattoos and he had a far right uh, militia patch on his ridiculous uh, retail tactical gear. I mean, this is indisputable at this point and there was elon musk on cnbc going oh it's bullshit i don't think it actually happened blah, 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 blah. and so my god <laughs> that's all you need to know about elon musk yeah it's it's a we're in a it's a bad situation and i think we're uniquely set up for 2024 for a for a train wreck like i really mm. do like i hate to be i i 
I genuinely, I talked to my wife the other day and I was like, you know, with the whole Trump coming back and doing these press conferences and the CNN town hall. And I just said to her, you know, we're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to do the whole fucking thing again. And this time it's going to be worse because of Elon Musk and Twitter. We're going to have to, the amount of disinformation we're going to have to contend with is, is going to be insane. I mean, look, this, this sort of leads into the second what I wanted to talk about, which was my piece uh, this week on Matt Taibbi and his crazy charts. Talk about so, disinformation. <laughs> say again? Talk about disinformation. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, this was a masterclass in disinformation. Um, th- so this whole thing began when I, I saw Taibbi put a chart up on his, or I think it was a link to his racket piece um, on the sensorial, what's it called again? I forget, like there's some stupid term. The censorship industrial complex, right? Oh, God, and there's a persecution. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, he should just fucking carry a cross around on his back and nail himself to it every couple of minutes, right? So, so they've got this. They they came up with this chart um, of uh, of of NGOs, big tech, foundations, government, for profit, um, academic initiatives, and think tanks and fact checkers, right? These different organizations that all apparently sort of work together in this grand scheme um, to censor free speech on the internet, right? This is, this is their idea. This is their, their whole um, shtick. Um, and it kind of reminded me of, of, do you remember when Glenn Beck used to do his, uh, his George Soros charts on the chalkboards? Christ, yes. Right. So I, I, mm. <laughs> I, I did a Photoshop thing. I, I spliced two photos together, one of their, chart and one of glenn beck with a with a chalkboard and george soros written on it um and it was like oh the charts prove everything right um didn't go down very well with matt toby's fans i think the tweet was seen like it's been seen like hundred and fifty thousand times or something something <laughs> ludicrous like that um i had to i had to mute the thread i had, i was getting all sorts of tr- spam and trolls and we're all jumping matt toby's delightful um super fans uh, <clears throat> so I thought, okay, well, look, I better check the article, right? Maybe he's onto something. Maybe I've uh, I, I've unfairly smeared him as a conspiracy theorist, right? So I went onto his piece, uh, which was a collaboration with four other writers. No, 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 one, two, three, four, eight other writers. Sorry, he, he and eight writers that he ostensibly hired. Um, well, all that Twitter files might be getting put to work. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's 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 pretty rich now, Matt Toby. He's made a, uh, a huge amount of money off of this Twitter files nonsense. Mm-hmm. So he wrote the introduction to this piece, and it was talking. It talked about Dwight D. Eisenhower's um, speech when in 1961, when he talked about the dangers of the uh, military-industrial complex. Right, on and on and on he goes, and then he makes this jump. He's saying, "Well, now we've got a new industrial, uh, this new sort of very dangerous industrial complex, but it's a censorship industrial complex." That's made up of all of these non-profits and for-profits and fact-checking organizations and uh, university institutes, etc. And they're all adopting the same language. They're all making money um, and sharing the same ideas and ideology uh, about, you know, um, censoring free speech on the Internet. Okay, fine. Cool. Great. Let's have a look. Right? Thesis. He's put his thesis out there. The, the article is 17,000 words long. Right, seventeen thousand. <laughs> wow! Right? I thought I was long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Justin, my articles were long. Jesus. Justin likes to write a good piece, um, <laughs> uh, but, but this this was like this was this was insane. 
this is like completely bonkers. So I thought, okay, look, I read the whole thing, um, but I, I was like, okay, I don't have time to fact check the whole thing. Um, we're not uh, racket rich. Um, so I just thought, okay, I'm going to pick two examples out and see where they go. And lo and behold, both of the examples I picked, the claims were just dismantled within a matter of minutes. Um, you know, the first one he wrote, he was he smeared this organization called the Information Futures Lab. This is the first example they picked. Uh, this is at Brown University. And basically said, this is, you know, one of the major players in the, um, what do they call it? The, uh, uh, there's a term that they use. They uh, said, um, with a strong ability to know, to both know and direct emerging trends, and with a large array of elite networks in tow, the IFL will continue to serve as one of the key tastemakers in the anti-disinformation -dis field. So, okay, let's see what they're saying. What are they saying about these guys? Are they actually engaging in any censorship, right? Turns out they do a lot of good work on preventing vaccine disinformation, right? That kills thousands and thousands of people a year, right? Like the vaccine disinformation means that children don't get vaccinated. Parents get freaked out about vaccines. They think, oh, poor little Timmy, I don't want to get his polio vaccine because, you know, 5G and, and Bill Gates, etc. So this organization does a lot of good work trying to combat that. Okay. Uh, this apparently means that they're part of this giant web trying to censor the internet. Mm -hmm. okay, so this is and then I, I i scroll down i get to point i think it's number four i think i came to the characterization of the aspen institute right so they said that the aspen institute uh, uh and stanford cyber policy center urged journalists to break the pentagon papers principle and not cover leaked information to prevent the spread of disinformation right this is a claim that the the racket makes right they're saying specifically the aspen institute and Stanford Cyber Policy Center are have been urging journalists to break the Pentagon Papers principle and to not cover leaked information. That's an important point, right? Um, so I checked that link, right? I checked the link, and lo and behold, total nonsense, right? The Aspen Institute has not urged journalists to break the Pentagon Papers principle or not covered leaked information at all. What they did was they had two people from um, Stanford Cyber Policy Center who gave a talk at the Aspen Institute on a Zoom call, right? And on this Zoom call, they said, look, we need to update our, our, how we break um, leaked information because there are all sorts of problems in, in the new digital age uh, with, with warfare between governments, etc. So we have to also look at why are the people leaking these documents, right? So like why would Russia, for example... Uh, and, and WikiLeaks be interested in exposing the DNC, you know, Hillary Clinton and the DNC. You have to look, that's part of the story too, right? Which makes total sense that you'd look at like, why is WikiLeaks dumping uh, stuff on the DNC and not the RNC, right? Um, so it was a very sensible discussion. Um, and then Taibi found an email that someone at the Aspen Institute sent to two other employees saying, um, you know, hey, we need to maybe we're going to have a discussion with these other journalists on on and provide some guidelines on how they could they could cover uh, hacks and leaks in the future, right? Is this is this evidence of the Aspen Institute urging journalists to break the the Pentagon Papers principle and not to cover leaked information? No, absolutely not. So, two examples picked completely randomly, 
turned out to be utter bullshit. Hmm. Um, and, and well, the other some... forty-eight could have been totally legitimate. You just happened to pick the two bad ones. That's probably yeah, no. What I went. It was. <laughs> That's almost definitely what happened. Yeah, I went into the other ones. Right, I, I didn't go as as, as in depth in, in the other ones, but they were all very similar. Like the, the there's a lot of insinuation and heavy implication, but no actual evidence. So, I think this is very dangerous. I think this is actually this ties into sort of the the whole, Bob your idea that. Um, um, about Elon Musk and Twitter and disinformation coming up in 2024, that we've got yeah. a real problem on our hands, yeah. and and this is another this is another aspect of that warfare, right? That we're not only have we've got disinformation merchants spreading massive like conspiracy theories and anti-vax hysteria and all this kind of nonsense, but you've also got this new sort of cottage industry: the Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, Glenn Greenwald, alt left, alt right. Uh, you know Russell Brand, where they're saying that the bad guys are people trying to stop the disinformation. Mm-hmm. Well, right, so- I mean that that makes total sense, though. Look at it from their point of view. Their entire ideology is bullshit, and the only way it works is if they lie to everybody, right? Their entire thing is based on disinformation. Everything they do is based on disinformation. They can't tell the truth about anything that they're doing because if they told the truth about what they're doing the public would be like even their own base would be like oh no we're not doing that so if that's what you're doing then the watchdogs are the enemy that's that's their that's it they are the enemy and you have to discredit them that's the point so that's what they're doing that's their entire job right now is to discredit the people who hold them accountable which also includes the regular media which is why they hate them so much. Like a regular journalist, a regular journalist is the enemy to people like Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald. That's their entire thing right here. Mm-hmm. That's all this is. Right, and it, and it's a, it's an industry. They're part of this highly lucrative industry. I mean, it's pretty funny to see all these people talking about censorship to their millions of Twitter followers, like Russell Brown banging on about about how he's being censored to like. You know, I don't know how many he's got like six million YouTube followers or whatever it is. And you know, uh, Elon Musk going on about censorship, who he's got was it 190 million Twitter followers or something like this? They're all claiming they're being censored while speaking to their millions and millions and millions of fans. <laughs> right. amazing. Well, I mean, the victimization is like a key component of it. It's like where the victims, it's always that's like a core component. Where are the victims, where are the victims, always be the victim as long as you're the victim then anything that you do is justified because you're the victim and you're being attacked and you're defending yourself. So Right. So I, you know, this is another angle on, the, on this upcoming war that we're going to have to, we're going to have to face, I think. Uh, like, I'm not really not looking forward to, to, to this because uh, I'll talk about Taibi again with the, Dur- the Durham report, um, not fall out the nonsense he's been doing victory laps on Twitter, so I'll we'll go into that about apparently uh, the whole Russia, uh, the Russia gate thing has been disproved now finally, right? Again, 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 thirtieth time, right, mm-hmm. right, right. Uh, but anyway, look, I I hope that um, our readers please read both of those pieces, Bob's piece on on Elon Musk and mine on on Matt Taibbi. Uh, also, Justin's your piece this week was was great on on um. Thank you. On, on autism, but we—I think we need to do another full episode dedicated to that. Uh, just 
I want to talk to you about that and do an interview with you on that. But I suggest everybody read it. It's out for free on the banter right now. Um, it's a great piece. Um, and actually quite sunny, like in many ways quite mm -hmm. uplifting, I thought. Uh, even though it was a dark subject, it was it was like you, you provided a really good take on it. So um, anyway, I really I try. You, you, you do that. But look, guys, debt ceiling. <laughs> the debt ceiling, right? It looks like a deal might be happening. Right. I, I don't know what your perspective on this is, but I'm seeing what it looks like to me is that Kevin McCarthy, you know, they're doing all these press conferences where they're saying, you know, we think we can make a deal. Uh, this is in The New York Times. Uh, this is by uh, German Lopez in The New York Times. They, this is published uh, today on, on Friday, Friday morning. For months, the U.S. has been barreling towards a debt limit crisis. Democrats refused to negotiate and Republicans insisted on a deal stocked with right wing policy priorities. It was unclear how or whether they would avert catastrophe. This week, the atmosphere in Washington shifted. The chances of getting a deal done now seemed higher. Why? Because both sides budged. Democrats are negotiating and more Republicans have suggested they are willing to compromise. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, said yesterday for the first time that he saw a path that we could come to an agreement. Um, quote, this was a marked change in attitude from, my, from earlier in the week when McCarthy was very pessimistic, my colleague Carl Hulse the Times chief Washington correspondent told me the stakes are still high. If Congress does not increase the debt ceiling, the limit on money that the U.S. can borrow, the government may run out of money as early as June 1st. It would no longer be able to pay its bills, potentially defaulting on its debts. And that could send financial markets and the economy into chaos. Um, so the article outlines that Democrats are basically moving. They are negotiating. Um, they've previously declined to negotiate over the debt limit. I personally thought they should never negotiate over the debt limit. Uh, but the the um, the article goes on. When the Treasury Department announced this month that the US could hit its debt limit in just weeks, the House Republicans passed a debt limit bill with right-wing policy priorities, including sweeping but unspecified spending cuts, rollbacks of Biden policies, and work requirements for Medicaid, food stamps, and welfare benefits. Uh, the Democrats blinked. Last week and this week, the White House hosted congressional leaders to discuss the, the debt limit. So I wonder what's been going on what do you think is being given and taken who like the new york times is characterizing this as the democrats blinking i'm not necessarily so sure about that yeah i, I kind of agree with you ben i i obviously my mantra on twitter at least has been uh, uh never underestimate dark brandon this guy knows a thing or two for as long as he's been a member he was a member of the senate around he got i think first elected right after i was born somewhere there <laughs> he's been doing this a long time and if i were kevin mccarthy i don't know that i would want to go up against J joe biden when it came to matters of legislating he just he knows things that kevin mccarthy will never know and never understand as far as negotiating as far as how the hill works as far as uh, how these kinds of things go and so uh in that sense i'm feeling relatively confident that whatever negotiations are going on, whatever concessions that Joe Biden happens to make, they're all uh, with some sort of specific intention. Uh, they're all part of a, a an overall plan to come out on top with this and to still obviously raise the debt ceiling and get that done as well. But as far as the negotiations over the budget and negotiations over spending, obviously, and uh, raising more revenue for that matter, I would put the uh, advantage squarely in the hands of Joe Biden. Yeah, there was yeah, a I, uh, sorry, Justin, go ahead. Yeah, even even if both sides walk away 
you know, it's like, well, I don't like what we had to give up. And the other side says, I don't like what we had to give up. I would not be super upset about that because, you know, that's compromise, right? You walk away and neither side is particularly happy with what they had to give up. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Not everyone's supposed to walk away like, yes, we got everything we wanted and they got nothing and yada, yada, yada. Uh, Fine. That's politics. That's, you know, that's how you have when you have two parties who have very different um, goals in mind. If everyone gets what they want, in this case, stuff that the other side doesn't necessarily want to give up, then that's something. And if neither side is particularly happy with it, you get what, and the debt ceiling gets done, then, you know, everyone's going to be grumpy about it, but it got done. Yay, yeah. whatever. But I, I honestly, I don't know if that's still going to happen because the suicide caucus is not going to vote for anything unless it's everything to make Democrats unhappy and not give up anything because they're the suicide caucus and Trump has ordered them to do a default because they want to set the economy on fire and they're going to have to get uh, house Democrats to buy into this. And I depends on what's in the bill. And I hope they do because I really don't want to see a default because that would be unbelievably bad for reasons that I've discussed in my articles several times. So, look, I also I, th- I think look here's there's another aspect of this. This is Alexandra Ocasio Cortez um, tweeted this out a couple of days ago. She said, "Here's the deal: McCarthy has nowhere near the votes for a deal, and therefore cannot negotiate the debt ceiling. You need 218 votes. The GOP maybe has 150. They will need anywhere from 50 to 100 House Dems to pass anything. Democrats have 213 votes for a clean bill and just need to pick up five." And then she continues, we got a preview of this during McCarthy's disaster of the speaker vote, uh, disaster of speaker vote in January. He doesn't know how many votes he has on what. That's what it makes this negotiating rudderless. How do you deal with someone who cannot deliver passage? Clean bill needs five. He can't pass without the Democrats. So, yeah, I think probably Biden negotiated this to his advantage in, in, in a, like Bob, I, I kind yeah. of tend to agree with you. God, I hope so. I, I think that Biden has obviously McCarthy knows this, right? Like he knows he doesn't have the votes. To, he he doesn't have the votes, right? He his his Congress or his he, his allies in Congress are uh, how should we say fractured at best, <laughs> right? Republicans in disarray. Yeah, Republicans <laughs> in disarray. It's bad. Everyone talks about Democrats in disarray. The the GOP is a clown show. Right, Kevin McCarthy has no control over over his people in Congress, over the Republicans. He he really doesn't. So I think Biden knows this, and I think Biden has probably figured out a way to get him out of this. Right, and it look and it will look good. It will look good for both parties. Sadly, it will look good for both parties. I think the uh, it will look good for Kevin McCarthy uh, because he got a, a deal done. Um, and it would look great for Biden. I think if they get a deal done, it's going to look very good for Joe Biden. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I hope McCarthy is in a in a in a catch twenty two because any deal he makes with Biden, Trump is going to rip him the part. Is going to rip him to shreds. Doesn't matter what the deal is, Trump will rip him to shreds, and that's going to yeah. be the end of McCarthy. Right, 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 right. But this guy, I mean, he's how many times did he have? Was it seventeen rounds of voting? He I think it to... was sixteen. Something like that, yeah. Right, something ludicrous. But either so this way, very, very lucky to have a job. So I think that he's like he's the one making massive concessions. 
Um, and I think that I think that Taliban twenty are going to be the ones pissed off about this. I think. Uh, like <laughs> yeah, they're, they're immediately going to call for a vote to have him ousted, and I don't no. know what happens after that because he doesn't. Yeah, have, we, he's not going to have the votes to be to stay unless some Democrats vote for him, and I can't imagine they're going to be they're going to help him in the slightest. That's not going to happen, right? They're, and all the Democrats need to do is get five Republicans sensible. I don't know. Are there five sensible Republicans in Congress? Well, there's a bunch of them in purple districts that want to get reelected. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, you could you could make a deal with them. You could you could there could be some horse trading there. Um, but anyway, look, I hopefully again, ultimately I hope that this comes up A looks good for Biden and B averts the debt crisis because we don't need that. We really really do not need that. That would be bad. That would be very bad. Uh, okay, moving oh, wait, on. You know what the fun part about this is going to be? Once they get through this debt ceiling thing, we get to go through um, another government shutdown thing in September when the spending bill comes up. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Justin. There's a reason I've been planning for this since last November. Le- you're supposed to leave <laughs> on a ho- This is supposed to be happy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, sorry, <laughs> but my wife works in the federal government. I had to deal with this not once, but twice in the same year. So, yeah, we're ready. Yes. Yeah, I hear. All right. Well, look. Anyway, moving on to something funny. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> it's oh, gross! Oh my god, he is so he's screwed. So, he's in yeah, he is badly shit. screwed. I mean, he's zoomed. Shit. It's yeah. just start the countdown. I mean, he's going to have right. the IRS up his ass. He's going to have the Department of Justice up his ass. The whole thing with the uh, there are obviously a lot of gross stories in that lawsuit oh, so and, nasty. and she's supposed to have tapes which is yeah like, oh, that's, that's one of the great things about it like for, for those who don't know is this conversation was recorded that's amazing so, so for this i'm going to just give you a give our listeners a uh, an overview this is um from msnbc uh hayes brown uh, who's an msnbc opinion writer and editor wrote a good synopsis of this says uh, Rudy Giuliani has spent the last few years fa- facing a lengthy parade of investigations, allegations, and lawsuits that has resulted in the suspension of his law license in New York and Washington, D.C., and made him the target of a criminal probe in Georgia for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. But even by those standards, the, the new wide-ranging civil allegations against the personal attorney of the former President Donald Trump unveiled in a lawsuit filed Monday are deeply disturbing. In brief... Noelle Dumphy alleges that over two years when the former New York mayor employed her in a secret Giuliani employed her in secret, Giuliani engaged in unlawful abuses of power, wide-ranging sexual assault and harassment, wage theft and other misconduct. Amid other more salacious details, one that stands out as a is a claim that Giuliani at one point asked Dunphy if she knew anyone in need of a pardon, telling her that he was selling pardons for $2 million, which he and President Trump would split. In a written statement to NBC News, a Giuliani spokesman said the former mayor unequivocally denies the allegations. But between Trump's abuse of the pardon power and Giuliani's constant scramble for a buck, there is a definite thread worth tugging on in the accusation. <laughs> oh, Lordy, there are tapes. If she, Depending on how much of it she has recorded, he's doomed. And he's definitely not going to go to jail for Trump. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you, you know what I mean? I, I mean, probably not. He probably won't. He'll probably roll over. And you know, um, he's got tapes. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. You well, know, I don't know he's if... recorded conversations between him and Trump. I don't know whether Giuliani's that smart. I th- honestly think 
it's one of the sort of most bizarre falls from grace I've seen in American politics that, that Giuliani went from this sort of powerhouse mayor in New York City who, you know, um, was America's mayor and cleaned up New York City. At least that was the uh, that was the image. That was the sort of perception that he was this no bullshit guy. I mean, he was a serious prosecutor as well. I mean, he took on the mob like Giuliani yeah. was no joke back in the day. Um, in the 80s, particularly in the 80s. Giuliani was a fearsome character. And to see him now is is kind of like, I don't feel sorry for him because I've never agreed with any of his politics and thought he was an arsehole. But he, he, he's sort of a shell of himself, you know, yeah. bumbling around like a buffoon, um, getting caught on the Borat video, on the Borat 2, that whole thing was just, <laughs> I mean, sticking his hands down his trousers and it was it was bad, right? Like, what happened to Giuliani? Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Anyway. Um... <laughs> yeah, he, what happened was he made the same decision that Sarah Palin made. Rather than becoming a serious player and hunkering down and doing the hard work of becoming a, a power broker in the Republican Party, he chose the media uh, screecher side of things. Uh, in fact, I think he could have seriously challenged George W. Bush for the Republican nomination in 2004, even though Bush was an incumbent, I think Giuliani could have taken a big chunk out of George W. Bush in that in that particular election, uh, given the America's mayor 9-11 thing. Mm. Uh, but instead, he chose to just go with the cynical cash grab. And that's what's dragged him down. There's like there's like a necrotic thing that happens to a lot of these people who decide to go down the road of playing in this universe of disinformation and fiction. And Rudy Giuliani has been playing in that for a long time, and it's completely destroyed his brain on top of, you know, all the alcohol. <laughs> that, there's that, too. I mean, alcoholism is going to really screw with you over a long period of time. I, I, I just can't get beyond the fact that this guy was making a serious play as far as, like, okay, if I say to Noelle Dumphy that I want to take a shower with her, she'll totally comply. She, oh, my God, why would someone not want to take a shower with me? That's some serious bullshit strength right there. That's like a guy who's high on his own supply. <laughs> and uh, obviously, there are lots of awful sort of details regarding that. I mean, we're talking about rape here. We're talking about uh, infantile fantasies, like asking Noelle Dumphy if he could refer to her as his daughter while they're having sex, it's just horrendous, horrendous things. These are all things that people who have lost their moral compass and who've lost their uh, ability to rationalize certain things, uh, their ability to uh, sanely handle situations is just completely effed up due to a number of different causes. I think alcoholism is a big one. And it's also yeah. that whole thing. I mean, the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely. Would he think that the president can just grant you a pardon no matter what you do? You're going to do whatever you feel like you want to do, right? You're he. Yeah. He at one point he said, "I have immunity, so why <clears throat> why not do anything you want?" And that's that's like that's the thing that you see throughout Trump world. It's like I can do anything I want because the president's going to give me a pardon, so I'm immune to all laws. I'm above the law. So. Yeah. A recurring and theme there. He's mm -hmm. long overdue a prison sentence, and he he really is. The guy is like I don't know how he's not in jail already. I mean, given the amount of nonsense he was, he's up to his eyeballs and scandals. Like 
it's t- it's time Giuliani got his comeuppance. I think. Well, the gear the gears of the law move very very slow when it comes to white male Republicans for some reason. Well, the other thing is, shouldn't they know by now that being a part of Trump's inner circle, being connected to Trump in some way, is basically a death sentence for people's reputation and their freedom, for that matter, uh, as far as uh, uh, indictments and investigations and on down the line. You associate yourself with Donald Trump, you're eventually going to get screwed. Either he's going to screw you directly by throwing you under a bus or just the very taint of being near Donald Trump and all of his criminality will eventually uh, expose you to uh, crimes as well. So and corruption. So uh, at this point, if you're around long enough, they should recognize they should know that that that's the case, but they don't. And that's what's baffling to me. Like, is it really worth it? The ability to ride around on his janky secondhand jet. Is that really a perk given the downsides? I don't know. What, what's what's the joke? A MAGA means make attorneys get attorneys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's so funny. Uh, we've been watching that miniseries on HBO, uh, The White House Plumbers, and it's such a great allegory for the kinds of people we're witnessing now. The White House Plumbers, of course, we're talking about E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy and all the guys, uh, McCord, Magruder, all the people surrounding them, uh, just completely high on their own supply once again uh they were immensely incompetent but they believed they could do anything it was this weird delusion that you see in like christopher guest movies um and we see the same thing now with the people surrounding donald trump they believe that there are these ironclad strategists and operatives and they can do all these things with their power and eventually they all end up getting nabbed because they're completely incompetent and awful at what they do. So there is the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I still don't understand how people around Trump don't, they don't seem to get them. They don't seem to learn like that. Everything this guy touches dies, everything businesses, presidencies, like you go near this guy, he's going to destroy you. The longer you stay around Trump, the the more of a guarantee that is that you will be destroyed, because whatever that guy touches, he kills. And uh, Giuliani, I think, is his masterpiece. You know, this is like, this is the, it's almost a sort of, a, it's like a Greek tragedy almost, right? Um, <laughs> watching Giuliani's fall from grace and his alliance with Donald Trump, who who has um, turned him into this sort of buffoon-like character. Yeah. Um, but listen, speaking of buffoons, we are going now into our both sides segment. And a both sides segment, again, for those of you new to the podcast, we do a weekly segment on uh, highlighting the fact that Republicans and Democrats are very much not the same. Um, so I'm going to go first. I have this week a uh, good friend of the podcast, uh, Candace Owens, um, hmm. who just tweets random stuff, right? She just tweeted, okay, this is what she tweeted. No context, no nothing. She just writes, Zelensky is the ultimate criminal, a literal mobster with an unlimited budget. Most Western civilians are too media propagandized to see it. This tweet will age well. (laughs) So let's just say this this tweet, it it won't age well. Um, But I was trying to figure out why does Candace Owens hate Zelensky so much? So there's this whole right wing, obviously this conspiracy theory now about Zelensky being... uh, a stooge of the deep state, right, of the American deep state, and that um, 
what they're doing is they're basically draining. Uh, he, Zelensky is like a money laundering machine for for for. He tweeted something saying Zelensky is a money laundering machine for our corrupt government actors, um, so that they are basically robbing Americans from much needed funds by supplying the Ukrainians with arms. Uh, and Zelensky is a Nazi or something. Anyway, who's a Jew? By trying to say that. Um, and she said she wants to punch uh, Zelensky in the face as well for being invaded by Russia. This is what this is the amazing logic on the right that oh, the Ukrainians are somehow responsible for Russia invading them. I I just I don't understand it. But it's again it, it, it's it's a sort of a classic example of right wing just insanity where well, they don't forget he's also life. jewish so you got to throw that yeah. in there too so that just gives it a little bit more of that yeah there's a good reason we hate him because blah 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 and also he's jewish mm -hmm. quite quite possibly but i don't again it's this alternate reality that they live in uh, the right live in this completely insane universe or the maga right at least live in an insane universe where good is bad up is down black is white uh zelensky is is the bad guy and Vladimir Putin is the good guy, which is amazing. Um, I don't know how I genuinely, I don't even really want to know how they managed to get to that conclusion because it's sort of like these characters, these YouTube grifters uh, like Candace Owens are uh, essentially just gaming the system. They're just gaming the system for cash um, and jumping in on every single topic with a contrarian take that has no basis in reality and it goes viral and they make lots of money out of it and get a big twitter following etc so anyway that's my pick for this week uh is the lovely candace owens justin you ever you ever you've been texting us all week about your your yes <laughs> yes close another another good friend of the podcast uh nick fuentes uh white nationalist nick nick fuentes um so he was on his uh his his little show that he has on um cozy.tv whatever the hell that is but he went on another one of his rants about women and about how women should have to do what men say but also so a new thing on the right is that they don't want divorce so no divorce no, this is so no divorce no, this is a quote no divorce no abortion no contraceptives no birth control none of it say yes to Teenagers getting married. Now he's not talking about two teenagers getting married. He's talking about adults marrying teenagers, specifically men marrying teenage girls. Say yes to teenage pregnancies. Say yes to toxic masculinity, rape culture, all of that. Say no to contraceptives, abortion, birth control, divorce. He goes on for a while, and then you get to like the, the, the really good stuff. Because all these liberals are like, we got to have sex with 30-year-old women. What do you mean? 30-year-olds are barely even fertile, and they've aged like milk. Apparently, aging is like a theme for today. Um, that's like leaving milk out. And it's like, you know, it kind of tastes funny, blah, blah, blah. Same thing goes with women. I don't want to turn 30 and find some 20-year-old, 29-year-old woman that I have something in common with. And it's like, hey, properly aged like wine. And he says he wants to find a 16-year-old bride. You go crazy. No condoms, no snips, no abortions, no pills, no none of that. We've talked about this several times on the show, and, and I will keep talking about it because it's super, super important because it's going to be a thing down the road. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, white nationalism was the fringe of the right, and now it is the mainstream of the right. 
right now the fringe, and it's not so much fringe anymore, is this weird obsession with pedophilia where adult right-wing, right-wing men keep talking about how they want to have sex with 16-year-old girls. Some of them talk about 15. Some of them go low as 14. They talk about this openly, and they're getting more and more comfortable talking about it. So, again, I don't know what this is going to turn into, what the ramifications of that's going to be in five, six, ten years, but it is a thing that is happening, and it's happening right in front of us. And people really don't seem to be aware of that, and we really do need to be aware of that. And it is only coming from the right. This is not a, well, both sides are kind of doing No, this is really only from the right. Even the alt-left, whom I despise, even the alt-left, I have not seen this coming from the alt-left at all. This hmm. is strictly the right wing. So, you know, that's just something we really have to pay attention to. Yep. Bob, you'll pick this week. I'm going with Tommy Tuberville from the uh, great state of Arizona, who uh, thinks that was that friend of the pod as well. Friend for yeah, friend of the podcast, Tommy Tuberville. Yeah, does he talk about aging like milk? (laughs) (laughs) He said uh, he was on um, uh, what network was that? Oh crap, I'm not sure. I don't think it was Fox. Oh, it was Newsmax. He was on Newsmax. Newsmax. And he said that the American people should just stand up and say, and this is regarding the Durham report. He's talking about the goddamn Durham report. He said the American people should just stand up and say, listen, enough's enough. Let's don't have elections anymore. So that's one of those things where um, if a Republican says let's not have elections anymore, given their track record, believe them when they say that. This is what we've been warning about. This is uh, obviously connected in in some strange way to January 6th and the tendency toward uh, getting Trump into office and then barricading the door behind him and making him the new Vladimir Putin. We're making him the American Vladimir Putin, president for life. This is the all-out assault against democracy. They're taking all of the bullshit lies from the 2020 election told by Donald Trump, the most notorious liar in American history, and they're legislating based on that, making it more difficult for people to vote in these states, empowering Republican state legislatures to overturn the will of the people, making sure that younger voters who are now starting to turn out in droves because they're sick and tired of gun violence and anti-abortion laws, uh, they're trying to make it more difficult. They're disenfranchising those younger voters in some cases. So um, when Tommy Tuberville says, hey, you know what, maybe we shouldn't have elections anymore, that's serious fascism stuff. And in fact, Tom Nichols, who is a never Trumper and has been very resistant to use the F word in these contexts, said outright, yeah, this is this is pretty fascist what he was saying here. So that I would take that very, very seriously. And uh, there's your modern Republican Party. They are anti-democratic without a doubt. They don't want you to vote. And what we need to do is finally decide as as voters and as a culture to permanently relegate these guys to being opposition, the opposition party uh, to being uh, marginalized permanently to the point where maybe we devise, maybe they, whoever's left of the Republican party, who's still somewhat sane. And maybe I don't think there are any, 
But I know there are some conservatives who have left the Republican Party. Maybe they can form their own party or something. But the current Republican Party can't continue to exist. It's incompatible with American democracy. Both yeah, sides I'm, are not the same. Both yeah, sides. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a group on Facebook with a bunch of magas, and I dropped that in the group, and I was like, "Yeah, here's here's a fucking Republican." He's like, "Oh, he was just being facetious." Like the fuck he was. He was yeah, not being, being facetious, facetious at all. Yeah, like we should be like law members of the United States Senate, an elite club of 100 Americans tasked with uh, organizing and legislating what like one half of one third of the federal government. Yeah, we should allow them to go around joking about ending elections. Also, he's not smart that makes enough. Sense. Tuberville's What's not that? smart enough. Tuberville's not, not smart enough to be facetious. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, take them seriously. When they say it, take them seriously. That that's yep. what I I've always thought. Um, but listen, guys. Oh no. Oh god. <laughs> this means. Wait, is that my car oh, alarm? Jesus. Did, did my car what? alarm just go Wait, off? Bro. Let me go check. Emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. Right? That <laughs> means it is time for the emergency meeting. And, uh, Bobby, we were just talking about the Durham report. Uh, but we are going to be talking about the GOP PSYOP, right? This is a full-on PSYOP that we're seeing here with their reaction to the Durham report. Yeah. We're going to go into that. We're going to be going to uh, Matt Tybee's take on this as well, which is uh, bonkers, and it ties into his Twitter files reporting and this insane chart that he drew. But I, we're going to be talking about this in the uh, Emergency Meeting Podcast. You can become a, a Bantam member and get access to the Emergency Meeting Podcast each week where we talk about the most pressing issues of the day or the week. Um, it's a bit more freestyle, uh, probably a bit more swearing. Justin gets uh, is let off his leash, and uh, he lets fly with lots of curse words. So everyone can look forward to that. Come join <laughs> us, you get fifty percent off a Banter membership and uh, access to all of our premium articles and member chat threads, and you'll be supporting what we do. So it's very much appreciated. But we will see you there. <laughs>